Welcome to the Banner of Truth broadcast. This program is brought to you by the Free Reformed Churches of North America. Your host is Pastor Jack Schumann, pastor of the Emmanuel Free Reformed Church of Abbotsford, British Columbia. And now, here is Pastor Jack Schumann. We are continuing our series of sermons today on the book of Ezra. The text for the sermon is taken from the book of Ezra, chapter 8, as we read the verses 1 through 20. Let us hear the word of God. These are the heads of their fathers' houses, and this is the genealogy of those who went up with me from Babylon in the reign of King Artaxerxes. Of the sons of Phinehas, Gershom. Of the sons of Ithamar, Daniel. Of the sons of David, Hattush. Of the sons of Shechaniah. Of the sons of Parosh, Zechariah. And registered with him were 150 males. Of the sons of Pahath, Moab, Elihanai, the son of Zariah, and with him 200 males. Of the sons of Shechaniah, Ben-Jehaziel, and with him 300 males. Of the sons of Aden, Ebed, the son of Jonathan, and with him 50 males. Of the sons of Elam, Jeshiah, the son of Athaliah, and with him 70 males. Of the sons of Shephathiah, Zebediah, the son of Michael, and with him 80 males. Of the sons of Joab, Obadiah, the son of Jehiel, and with him 218 males. Of the sons of Shelomith, Ben-Josiphath, and with him 160 males. Of the sons of Bebai, Zechariah, the son of Bebai, and with him 28 males. Of the sons of Asgad, Johananan, and the son of Hakatan, and with him 110 males. Of the last sons of Adonikam, whose names are these, Eliphalet, Jael, and Shemaiah, and with them sixty males. Also of the sons of Bigvi, Uthai, and Zabud, and with them seventy males. Now I gathered them by the river that flows to Ahava, and we camped there three days. And I looked among the people and the priests, and found none of the sons of Levi there. Then I sent for Eliezer, Ariel, Shemaiah, Elnathan, Jerob, Elnathan, Nathan, Zechariah, and Meshulam, leaders, also for Joirib and Elnathan, men of understanding. And I gave them a command for Ido, the chief man at the place Kesaphia, and I told them that what they should say to Ido and his brethren, the Nethanim at the place Kesaphia, that they should bring us servants for the house of our God. Then by the good hand of our God upon us, they brought us a man of understanding, of the sons of Mali, the son of Levi, the son of Israel, namely Sherebiah, with his sons and brothers, 18 men, and Hashabiah, and with him Jeshiah, of the sons of Merari, his brothers and their sons, 20 men, also of the Nethanim, whom David and the leaders had appointed for the service of the Levites, 220 Nethanim, all of them were designated by name. This ends the reading of the Holy Word of God. May he bless the reading and preaching of it to our hearts today. Dear friends, believers in the Lord Jesus Christ are on a journey, not unlike the people of Israel after the Exodus. We have, in a sense, left Egypt, representing this world, and we are heading to the Promised Land, representing heaven. And along the way, there are many obstacles and challenges. But eventually, every believer in Christ will arrive at his intended destination. Everyone will enter into everlasting glory. 
We have a picture of this journey in the words of our text chapter, Ezra chapter 8. Now, as we learned the last time, Ezra had asked Artaxerxes, king of Persia, for permission to return to the promised land. You may remember that the first group of exiles to make this journey did so some 80 years earlier during the reign of King Cyrus. Well, now Ezra asked if he and a second group might make the same journey, and Artaxerxes agreed. Now, the journey would not be an easy one. For one thing, it was long, some 900 miles over some very inhospitable terrain. For another thing, they were heading out in the heat of the summer. And for still another thing, they were carrying with them much gold and silver, attracting the attention of bands of thieves along the way. But they went anyway. Now, to be sure, the number of of people who joined the second exodus was far less than the first. On the first return in 537 BC, about 50,000 people returned to the promised land. But on this occasion, only about 5,000 made the journey. Nevertheless, the Lord blessed them, such that every one of them entered into the promised land. Now, because there's so much material in this chapter, we're just going to focus our attention today on verses 1 through 20. And with the Lord's help, we want to reflect on the remaining verses of this chapter next week. And so my theme today is Ezra leads the second exodus from Babylon, part one. And we'll consider, first of all, the tribes he assembled. Secondly, the deficiency he observed. And thirdly, the provision he secured. So Ezra leads the second exodus from Babylon, part one, the tribes he assembled, the deficiency he observed, and the provision he secured. Needless to say, Ezra was thrilled. He had just received permission from King Artaxerxes to return with some 5,000 people to the promised land. What is more, the king wrote a letter, and in that letter he granted the Jews special privileges and gave them much silver and gold to pay for the expenses relating to the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem. Well, hearing this, Ezra wasted no time. And the first thing he did was to gather the leading men of Israel. We read that in chapter 7, verse 28. Now, these were probably the heads of households. The Jewish community was structured around tribes. There were 12 tribes, each with its own head. And within each tribe, there were households, each with their own head. Well, these are the men whom Ezra approached to go up with him to the promised land. Now, why did he approach them? Well, the reason is because in those days, if the head of the household decided something, then the entire household would follow suit. And that's exactly what we see happening here as well. If the head of the household decided to go back to the promised land, then the entire family would go with him. Now, we have a record of the names of these men in verses 2 to 14. This is one of several lists of names in the Bible. There are many other lists. You think of the first nine chapters of 1 Chronicles. Or we can think of the list in Nehemiah chapter 3 or Nehemiah chapter 7. There are many such lists. And at times we can wonder, why are these names even mentioned in the Bible? In fact, as we read through Scripture, we tend to skip over them, don't we? Believing that they contain nothing 
of profit or of value. But dear friends, we would do well to remember what the Apostle Paul writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy 3, verse 16. He writes, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now that's also true for the genealogies of Scripture, including the list of names in our text chapter. Well, if that's true, what can we learn from this list of names? Well, first of all, we learn here that there are 12 families. Now, the number 12 is a highly symbolic number in Scripture. There were 12 tribes, there were 12 minor prophets, and 12 disciples. Well, here there are 12 families. Just as the 12 tribes of Israel left Egypt under Moses, so these 12 families left Babylon under Ezra. Secondly, we observe here that these families are headed up by men. Now, that's because God has called men rather than women to be the heads of their families and leaders in the church. That doesn't mean, of course, that women are inferior. They most certainly are not. They simply have different roles. Men are called to lead and to provide. Women are called to nurture, to help and support something we should keep in mind in this egalitarian society in which we live. The third observation we can make is that these families are divided into three groups. First of all, there were the priests. And these included, first of all, the family of Gershom, who was a descendant of Phinehas, who was the son of Eleazar, Aaron's third son. And then there's also mention here of the family of Daniel, who was a descendant of Ithamar, Aaron's fourth son. Following the priestly families, we have a reference to the royal line of David. So in verse 2, mention is made of Hattush. Hattush was a great-great-grandson, so this is fourth generation now, of Zerubbabel in the line of David. Now, there's something remarkable about this fact. Zerubbabel was the last direct descendant of David mentioned in Scripture. And he died many decades before this. And yet God preserved David's line through this man, Hattush. Now, why did he do that? Well, because God had promised David that he would always have a descendant to reign on his throne. And now we see how God fulfills that promise. For although Hattush is not specifically mentioned in his genealogy, he too was an ancestor of the Lord Jesus Christ. One commentator writes this. He says, David's line, though now darkened and veiled and almost extinguished among the faithful, still continues. And suddenly, in a place where they least expect it, David's line will emerge again. You see here something, too, of the covenant faithfulness of our God. Finally, thirdly, we have the lay families, followed by the number of men who came from each family. You notice how these families, you notice how, how these lay families come last. You compare that to the list in Ezra chapter 2, where the lay families are mentioned first, followed by the priestly families. Now, why that's the case is not known, but it's probably for the sake of emphasis. Earlier, Ezra wanted to emphasize that the lay leaders were the driving force. 
And here he wishes to emphasize that it's the priestly and the kingly leaders that were the driving force. Fourthly, we learn here that in every case but one, the house of Joab, mentioned in verse 9, these families already had family in the promised land. They had settled there after the first exodus some 80 years earlier. And we know that because all the family names mentioned in our text chapter are also found in the earlier list in Ezra chapter 2. Now why these people stay behind, we don't know. Maybe they were still too attached to life in Babylon, or maybe they didn't want to suffer the hardships of traveling all the way to the promised land, which at that time still lay in ruins. Well, whatever the case, they came. And we're reminded here that not everyone begins their spiritual journey at the same time. Do you remember the the parable of the vine workers that Jesus told? Some were called to work in the vineyard at the third hour, others not until the eleventh hour, but they all worked and they all received payment. Some began earlier, others began later. But what matters is not when we begin the journey, but whether we are making the journey at all. And we see that here as well. So Ezra gathered the families together in preparation for their journey. But as he did, he discovered a problem. And that leads us to our second point. Before embarking on the journey to the promised land, Ezra and the people gathered by the river that flows from, that flows to rather, Ahava. Now, this river was most likely a canal that flowed into the city of Babylon from the Euphrates River. And it was there, beside this canal, that Ezra and the people camped for some three days, probably so that Ezra could make sure that everything was in order. You don't want to lead 5,000 people on a journey of 900 miles only to have left someone or something behind. Well, while they were there, Ezra discovered something very troubling, and that is that there were no Levites. Now, the Levites were members of the tribe of Levi, and their task was to assist the priests in carrying out the responsibilities of the temple. For example, it was the Levites who played the music. They opened and closed the gates of the temple, and they stood guard over its various precincts. Now, why there were no Levites in the company remains a mystery. One would think that since their task was to serve in the temple, and since there was no temple in Babylon, that the Levites in Babylon would have jumped at the opportunity to return to the promised land in order to fulfill their calling. But alas, they did not. Now, why they didn't, we can't say. But it's likely that many of the Levites did not return for the same reasons that many of the other Jews did not return. It's because they had it too good in Babylon. They were not prepared to leave it, especially not when they were required to travel 900 miles in the heat of the summer and endure various trials and hardships and have to start life all over again. Now we can learn at least two things from this. First of all, we learn here what a sad thing it is when men who are called to serve in office do not fulfill the duties of their office. Now these Levites were a case in point. They were called by God to serve in the temple. For 150 years, they were not able to do so because they were in Babylon, in exile. But now they had the opportunity. But what did they do with that opportunity? They squandered it. They chose to remain in Babylon 
and enjoy the good life. Now that can still happen today, can't it? It's a sad thing when a church has a pastor, for example, who doesn't adequately prepare himself to preach or who doesn't visit the sick and the needy. It's a sad thing when the elders don't do their home visits and show very little or no interest in the members of the congregation. It's a sad thing when deacons do not faithfully count and administer the funds that the congregation gives to the work of the Lord. No office bearer carries out the duties of his office perfectly. That is true. That's true of the office bearers of the congregation as well as every pastor. But woe be to that office bearer who does not even try or does everything in his power to avoid hard work. Such a man is not worthy of the office he holds. Secondly, we learn here what a sad thing it is when a church does not have enough men to serve in office. And don't we see that same thing being played out here as well? Just before they were about to leave, Ezra discovers that they didn't have any Levites. There were many thousands of Levites in Babylon, but not a single one volunteered to go. This is becoming more and more of a problem in the church today. It's becoming more and more difficult for the church to find qualified men to serve in office. And that's true not only in small churches, but even large ones. And there may be all kinds of reasons for that. But ultimately, it's because they're not qualified. They simply do not possess the necessary gifts and graces as are outlined in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus chapter 1. So what do we do about this? Well, if you're a male member of a local church, you need to make this a matter of prayer and work. Not every man can serve an office. Not every man has the necessary gifts. But most should be able and most should want to. And if there's something that disqualifies you, you need to bring it to the Lord and ask him to show it to you. And if it's something that can be changed, then you ask him to give you the grace to change it so that one day you too might serve the Lord profitably in his church and in his kingdom, which is the greatest privilege that a man can ever have. And so Ezra discovered this serious deficiency. There were no Levites. So what did he do about it? Well, he provided some. And that brings us to our third and final point. As soon as Ezra discovered that there were no Levites, he immediately sprang into action. We read in verse 16 that he sent for Eliezer, Ariel, Shemaiah, Elnathan, Jerob, Elnathan, Nathan, Zechariah, and Meshulam, whom he called leaders. Now, these were not heads of households, since these had already been mentioned in verses 1 to 14. These were simply leading men among the people. You'll notice that the name Elnathan appears three times. Some scholars believe this indicates a corruption in the text, but Elnathan was a common name, just like John or Peter was in the New Testament, and so it could easily refer to three different men. Secondly, you'll notice in verse 16 that it says there, he sent for Joirib and Elnathan, men of understanding. Now, that word, that phrase, men of understanding, could also be translated as men of learning or teachers even. Presumably, that means that these men were skilled in their understanding of the law of God. And therefore, they could persuade the Levites of their duty towards God and his people. 
Well, to these men, Ezra gave a special commission. He told them to go to a certain Ido, the chief man at the place Casaphia, and his brethren, the Nethanim, at the place Casaphia. Now, Casaphia was probably a village not far from Babylon, where there was a large community of Jews. Literally, verse 17 says, Casaphia, the place. And that expression, the place, often designates in the Old Testament a sanctuary. And that suggests that this place was a religious center of the Jews in exile, probably a training school for Levites. And Ido was probably the leader of this school. Now, the Nethanim, who were also mentioned here, were assistants to the Levites. And their task was to perform the more menial tasks relating to the temple, things like chopping wood and drawing water. So Ezra charged these men to go to Ido and to ask him to send them servants for the house of our God. He even told them what to say so that Ido would be persuaded. Well, as it turned out, the plan worked. According to verses 18 through 20, some 250 men responded to Ezra's call, 38 Levites and 220 Nethanim. Now, that doesn't seem like very many, especially not very many Levites. But when you consider that these men had only a day or two to prepare for the journey, it's quite impressive. How many of us would be prepared to move far away at a moment's notice with little, if any, possibility of returning? I dare say not many. But these men did. And how do we explain this? How do we explain all of these wonderful events that are taking place? Ezra tells us it was by the good hand of God. And that's an expression that is used more often in Ezra and also in the book of Nehemiah. By that expression, Ezra is saying that it's not due to himself or the words that he gave to the delegation of leaders that he attributes the success. He gave all the glory to God. It was solely owing to the good hand of God upon him. What's even more remarkable is that these men had signed up to do fairly mundane tasks. The Levites were not priests. They were assistants to the priests. And as such, their work was hardly glamorous. And that's even more true of the Nethanim, whose main task, as I observed a moment ago, was to chop wood and draw water. And yet these men went. God called them, they had a task to perform, and they responded to that call. Well, let me ask you today, is God perhaps calling you to some area of service for which there might be little visible reward or personal glory? You know, by responding to God's call to serve, we're merely following in the footsteps of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Because he left the glories and the riches of heaven to become a servant. And being found, as Paul says, in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Dear friends, if he did that for us, should we not be prepared to do anything for him? John the Baptist was the greatest of all the prophets, and yet he himself said that he was unworthy even to untie the latchet of Christ's sandals. Is that true for you today? And so we've seen how Ezra led the second exodus from Babylon to the land of promise, 
We saw how he assembled the tribes and how he observed and addressed a serious deficiency. Now in this respect, Ezra is a type of Christ, isn't he? Like Ezra, Christ too is assembling his people. They're being drawn, he's drawing them from every nation, tongue and tribe across the entire world. And he's drawing them by his word and by the power of his Holy Spirit. And what is more, as the good shepherd of his sheep, he supplies them in all of their needs. He provides them with his word. He provides them with preachers of his word, as well as elders and deacons to serve and care for his people. He provides them with the sacraments to strengthen their faith. And he equips them with everything they need for the journey that awaits. And then when everything is ready, he will come. And he will gather his people to himself. What a glorious day that will be. Then the Bible says the trumpet will sound. The archangel shall shout. And all who have ever lived will stand before him. He will cast the unbelieving and unrepentant into the lake of fire. But he will take his people to live and reign with him in glory forever. Oh my friend, do you also want to go there? Are you part of that number journeying toward heaven? You know, whether we realize it or not, all of us are on a journey. And ultimately, this journey will lead to one of two places. It will either lead to heaven or it will lead to hell. And I ask you today, which path are you taking? My friend, if you're on the path to hell, listen to me. Christ calls you today and he urges you to get off that path and to follow him. Yes, the journey will not be easy. In fact, it will be very difficult. There will be many trials, many hardships, many obstacles. Jesus compares following him to carrying a cross, a symbol of hardship, of suffering, and shame. But he himself will keep you safe. He himself will lead and guide you if you keep on looking to him. And he will bring every one of his children to glory as he has promised. And if you refuse then you'll be left behind. You notice that not all the Jews responded to Ezra's call. Many still remained in Babylon. And what happened to them? Well, sadly, most of them were assimilated into the heathen nation of Babylon, never to be heard from again. Oh, my friend, do not let that happen to you. But rise up, respond to the summons of the Lord Jesus Christ, and journey to the promised land. Amen. We always appreciate hearing from our listeners. If you are blessed by or have a comment on the message you've heard today, we'd very much appreciate hearing from you. Our mailing address is Banner of Truth, 3386 Mount Lehman Road. Lehman is spelled L-E-H-M-A-N, and that's in Abbotsford, British Columbia, V4X2M9. If you would like to listen to the message you have just heard again, or if you would like more information about our program, including how to contact us and how to listen to other messages on this program, please visit our website at banneroftruthradio.com. That's all one word, banneroftruthradio.com. Support for this program is provided by the Free Reformed Churches of North America. For more information about our churches, including where you can find a church nearest you, please visit our denominational website at www.frcna.org.
www.frcna.org. That's www.frcna.org. Your financial support for this program is welcome and deeply appreciated. If the Lord has placed in your heart a desire to help us offset the costs of broadcasting this program on this station, you can send us a check in any amount. Again, our mailing address is 3386 Mount Lehman Road, L-E-H-M-A-N, Abbotsford, British Columbia, V4X2M9. Or you can go to our webpage and make a donation right on the webpage. Our webpage, again, is banneroftruthradio.com. Thank you for listening. And now, until next week, may the Lord be with you all.